0: This episode of the e-commerce playbook podcast is brought to you by Parker, the credit card built exclusively for e-commerce. Get ready for this. You can free up cash flow and grow your business by getting net 60 terms on every transaction. You did not hear that wrong. Net 60 terms on every transaction. Go to getparker.com or check out the show notes to learn more. Hello and welcome to the e-commerce playbook podcast. My name is Andrew Ferris. I'm glad you've joined me again for another episode. Today on the show, we're back with something that we said was gonna be a monthly idea. And now finally, it's in our calendars to be monthly. And that's one topic with Taylor. I'm with Taylor Holiday. Say hello, Taylor.
1: What's going on everybody? Pleasure to be back.
0: Yeah, Taylor, uh, as you probably know, uh, is the managing partner and CEO of Common Thread Collective. Is managing partner right for that? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, the point is he runs Common Thread Collective, <laughs> and, uh, which is the parent company of 4400. And so uh, on Taylor's side of the fence, they are helping uh, entrepreneurs achieve their dreams by um, functioning as an agency in e-commerce brands. To brands going what zero to 30 million is that the is that the journey you guys handle
1: yeah ever widening
0: ever widening, yeah yeah but yeah as
1: long as that's there's an the, the defined parameter yeah
0: yeah yeah so helping e-commerce brands grow and then on our side we're going with brands so we're back talking about things that we're both kind of just that are just floating around our minds that are in conversation for me and taylor from our two sides of the fence we're going to jump right in today we're talking about building an anti-fragile uh e-commerce brand taylor's got the topic today so let's jump in. All right, Taylor, this is yes. your topic today. Yes. And I was asking you about what to do about this, and you said, oh, I know exactly what to do about today's show. You had it right away on the top, tip of your tongue. We didn't have to talk about it at all. So why don't you introduce what you're, what's on your mind?
1: Okay, yeah. So there's really three things that have prompted this. One is a conversation that you and I and Josh have been having on an ongoing basis about the kinds of businesses that we want in four by four hundred, and in particular, sort of our continuing marveling at the inherent attributes of Bamboo Earth that make it such a, an effective business, and then com- using that contextually for looking at our other businesses as well. The second is iOS fourteen, which to, which to be
0: clear on on Bamboo Earth, by the way, like when we acquired this business, we were not so smart as to have our no. finger on all no. of the things that we now think is great about it. So we've learned from owning that
1: business over time well, part of this that's that's what sort of part of this is like trying to continue to get clear on what we mean when we say it's a really good business so the second thing is ios 14.5 and obviously as an agency we have this sort of like massive responsibility to provide guidance to our partners and brands and in particular this past two weeks we opened up admission for free which means we get like two thousand people that show up and are looking for advice and so I was responsible for sort of giving the opener, if you will. And as I thought about it, right, the thing I kept coming back to was what kind of businesses aren't afraid, or are less afraid, or could actually see this as an opportunity for them to grab more market share from other people. And so this whole idea of being anti-fragile, right? So it's Nassim Taleb. If you've never read any of his stuff, he wrote Black Swan, and then he wrote Anti-Fragile. And the premise is. Fragile means you break under pressure. Durable or strong means that you can resist pressure. And then anti-fragile means that under pressure, you actually get better. It actually has the effect of improving your business. And so as I thought about that, like iOS 14.5 is a pressure onto businesses potentially, right? Like we're still learning the total impacts, but that's the feeling that we all have. So the question I was trying to ask is like, who are the businesses that will thrive, even if this does become a net negative, if this actually becomes a really negative impact on businesses in any capacity, who wins in that scenario? Cause somebody does so that, that helps somebody to win. And so I started thinking about how could I be honest about one, the fact that I don't totally know what's going to happen what the total effect of iOS 14.5 is going to be, but give people an ability to assess their ability to resist or to be anti-fragile in face of adversity more broadly not even just with ios 14.5 and so i wanted to come up with a scorecard if you will that would assess that your business through that lens like how set up are you to resist not just this hardship but any
0: and just to backtrack really fast too i I think it's a good point you mentioned doing that for admission i like I actually really try not to make this show very promotional, despite that it's coming from agencies and everything, but I think it's probably helpful for people to know what that is, that what you're talking about. Just, just so that people have a context for the kind of person you're talking to when you're talking about that. That's
1: great. So admission is our community. So we really focus on primarily early stage businesses. Think zero to 2 million. You're managing your own ads. That's primarily who it's built for. But then on top of that, a lot of what you get are in-house teams other agency owners, media buyers trying to learn. It's basically a community of people trying to improve their skills and knowledge as it relates to Facebook media buying primarily, but now we've broadened that much, much further beyond that. And so, in the midst of these peak moments, we did this last year during when COVID first hit, we sort of opened up the community totally free for two weeks to anybody who wants to join. Normally we have about 300 people in there at any given moment. It's a Slack group, webinars, all of that sort of content. And right now we have about 2,000 from all over the world. And so it's just, that's the group that I'm speaking to as I sort of think about a presentation like this.
0: Yeah, I use Admission for, I just, we just hired a guy to be a sort of intro level media buyer out of our production team actually in in North Carolina, who I thought like just had all this potential. And I'm just, his training program as admission he just that's what he's that's what we're using to train to train him so that's awesome yeah. so everything from that very very beginning to people who are running businesses zero to two million right it's it, that's worth checking out youradmission.co maybe we'll link it in the show notes if you want to go look at that yeah. and see because see, your talk's pro- your talk from this is probably
1: in there right yeah, exactly. So this is the oh. opening webinar for that week. And that's what you and I are going to talk a little bit about right now. And, that, and, and then, that's
0: still accessible for people, right? If, if they totally. listen to this and they it's, want to go beyond. Cool.
1: Every okay. every video I've ever recorded is available in there. You can watch endless hours of Taylor if you'd like. Uh, <laughs> right. Okay, um, so so number so one. The third thing. So, was so I have one more. Bamboo. So, number two, iOS 14.5. What was the third thing? And then number three is sort of this idea. So I was on a call yesterday with a brand who's struggling with LTV. Okay. And there's this sort of ongoing debate that there's been a couple of Twitter dialogues. One was with Dave, one was with Nate about how much is LTV nature versus nurture. In other words, how much of it is an inherent attribute of your product and how much of it is actually something that you can change. And so the the metaphor we use here a lot, Andrew, right, is like the raw skills of a, a baseball player, right? Like, what is their total potential game power on a scale of zero to 80, you know, versus how much is player improvement? Like how much can you actually get out of them relative to their raw skills? So like, as an example, I'm a five, nine, 180 pound guy. I was never going to be an 80 game raw power. Like that was just, that's not in the cards for me. So the inherent attribute of me had a ceiling, right? And businesses are like that as it relates to some of these metrics and LTV is one of them, FC goods as a set of wallets sold for $270 is never, ever going to have a really high 60 day LTV. It's just like you could tactic your face off and it would never matter. It would never be that great. And so there's these questions about the inherent attributes of a brand. Some are more malleable than others. And so this was another idea is like, what is sort of, what is the actual DNA makeup, the genetic makeup of your brand versus the nurture components of your brand that are changeable? It's such a good analogy. I, yeah, I like that a lot
0: because I think, I mean, I wrestle with this all the time. I've got five brands in my portfolio. And like, I think a lot about what is sort of the ideal version of this brand? Like if this brand was running at its particular max capacity, what would that brand look like? And it it really, like for some brands, I'm not really too worried about LTV to be honest. I know it's, that's almost like heresy or something, but it's just like, I just don't think I'm going to ever win really that way. I'm going to have to think about it a different way. And it even makes me think about what the upside is on each brand and that sort of thing. And, or, and even just what we can do as a team relative to those things. So there's all these like factors built into uh, what we're good at, plus what's kind of inherent to the brand that, that all sort of matter. So, okay. I love that. So there's the three factors, So.
1: So, so okay, with so the scorecard, yeah, go ahead. So, so what the scorecard, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to hold a mirror up to people right into, including to ourselves with our own brands and allow them to sort of assess this question of like, what are the sort of, what is the present state of your business? How at risk is it for threat from other things? And then also like, what is the total ceiling of it and what would you need to change in order to actually get where you want to go? Because sometimes we hyper focus on this ad account thing. So this is the context. I'm speaking to an admission community that's here to talk about Facebook ads. They're afraid of iOS 15. And the first thing I want to do is I want to reframe the problem as I want to say, why is this such a concern? What is, what is happening that makes this such a huge risk factor for you? And we all know that in a lot of ways, many of us are over leveraged on this platform and that represents real risk. And we understand that, but more and more, I want them to think about, it's just like we talked about with slick products or bamboo is that the way that you win, might not be about improving ROAS. And if that's actually your growth plan, if your growth plan is I'm gonna double spend and improve ROAS over the next six months, I would contend you're potentially in real trouble. Like that's not a great growth strategy. So by holding this mirror up and saying, assess yourself through this lens, and I'm gonna go through these points and then I want you to add to them and tell me what which ones you think are good or bad or uh, adjust them. I can give people a starting point for other things to consider that might be why they're so at risk. Right? Okay. So do you have some of those things in front of you right now to share with our podcast
0: audience? So the way I
1: did this is I have six. So right now I have six different attributes and I scale them on a scale of zero points, one points or two points. Okay. So what I want you to help me think about is that like, what is the appropriate sort of, are each of them weighted correctly? And then outside of those six, what other ones would you throw into the pot in terms of, the things that make up the anti-fragile e-commerce business so you'll get this as i go through each one you'll you'll see how one's worth two points one's worth zero points
0: so okay so so just zero one and two you mean two two means it's the most it's very important to an anti-fragile
1: yes. business and yeah, zero it's means like, it's not important an it's the best person. score so two points is like you get you're in great shape so, okay. So the, this so, is a
0: rubric by which you're evaluating the anti-fragileness relative to the right. attributes of any given business. That's okay, right. I love and it. And then at the, I the end, I This is something you're really, you're really good about this in general, which is like, okay, if this is what we mean, how do we clarify? And it sounds great to be
1: anti-fragile, but like, okay, so yeah. what does that look like? What does that that's mean? Right.
0: And how do you measure it? And those sorts of things.
1: I can already just hear people pulling their nuance hammers out of their tool belts right now, getting ready to whack me over the head with it. So I understand that there's a million edge cases in which these things are not true, but this is just, as with all benchmarks or general ideas, they're intended to be a doorway to walk through to begin understanding, not the total understanding. That's not the end of the story. It's a, it's a way to begin the story, right? So just keep that in mind before you swing your nuance hammer at me. Okay. So the first place I want to start is on the logistics and operational side of the business. Okay. Because I think this is like the most sort of genetic portion of the business in the sense that the first category we're going to talk about, which is contribution margin. Okay. So in other words, what is the Delta between what you can sell a product for and what you can make it for. And I'm going to include in the, for the sake of contribution margin here, the cost to get it to the customer, right? So this is, this is a really big one because this is one of the inherent attributes of a product. That's really hard to change. If you have a sofa, It's going to be expensive to ship it. And you just can't really change that about the product. Right? So, so contribution margin category number one. Okay. So greater than 75 points of contribution margin, two points, greater than 65%, less than 75%, one point and less than 65%, zero points. So that's a high bar. Am I too tough? What do you think about that one as an initial indicator?
0: Yeah, I think landed. That's a pretty high bar. I mean, I almost feel like there's bonus points to be had here because it's like there's yeah. there are these occasional products that are sort of like, I mean, what I always come back to is Kalo, where it's like, I still remember like when, when we were, were Kalo and somebody told me that like the little mesh bag that the ring came in cost more money in terms of just like gross margin than the actual <laughs> right. ring because a right. little piece of silicone, right? And it's like, I just think like making that that's great. I just, I mean, that needs to be like a 25 though, on the scale of zero to two. But so, like, so part of, part of what I want people to understand is that that exists
1: though. Is that no, like, yeah, when there's and,
0: you know, that's more relevant though. I think for me than it is for most entrepreneurs, because what I can do is try and go hunt down that business and acquire it. Whereas for, and I don't know, maybe most people should just give up their current business and go like try a new one Well, but, but okay, or, or, add, right? or add or add or consider line extension. That is entirely focused on that. Cause I do think what you're saying is right. Which is like, I don't know if the analogy is right here, but you're not actually like, you don't have to give birth to the baby here. What you could do instead is genetically engineer the baby and like, and that's a different thing. Right? So, um, so this so, is so exactly I think that's the good. thing I'm
1: trying to get at is like, okay, let's say you have really shitty margin and your solution to that in your mind is a four to one in the ad account. Like what I'll just tell you is like, I think that might be a game that you're setting up rules. that actually means you lose. And like, that's just, you shouldn't do that business or you should fundamentally alter the genetics of the business. Because this one won't work that way. And I think that's what I'm trying to like really make people face, stare right in the face is like, based on how I'm planning to sell this product, is this business actually viable? Yeah.
0: Well, I'll say on this one that I think that like, when we, you know, we've gone back and forth a lot of times about what are the things that we look for in a business to acquire? And you mentioned that as part of the kind of impetus for this conversation. But like, I'll say that I recently said to you and to Josh, one of our other partners, like I said, I kind of think the answer right now for me is like, here's the list. Number one landed margin, which is, you know, getting at the same thing that you're saying. And then everything else is like number 10 through whatever, because like the yeah. game is just a million times easier. If you oh. have like great margin, You everything else in the business is easier. Cause if you just think about the dominoes that get knocked down here, you don't have to be as good in the ad account. You can ship things faster and probably be okay. If you want to, but you can discount more easily and you have plenty of margin to give in that process. Even if Maybe maybe you don't want to do that for a brand reason, but whatever. The other thing is, it's a massive finance win that people don't realize too, because That's right. um, because even if you don't have good terms with your manufacturer or something like that, the actual cash outlay for getting the product is so small that like your terms just kind of don't matter as much anymore. Like it's just That's like right. it makes it just really easier. doesn't cost that much. Yeah. So so I mean I do think that like that one is like definitely one A. It's why so many brands are in skincare, and it's why yes. so like everybody understands it's like it's why as soon as kayla started getting popular competitors popped up right away and so and groove right. and everything because there's no ip and like we can that's do that you know yeah, yeah exactly right and it's that's a great call so so yeah so i think okay, so, i think there's an so element I, here I, think, I almost think you should like Yeah. I haven't heard the other five, but I sort of, yeah, yeah, like it just, it (laughs) just has such an outsized effect on the rest of the business. It's just a lot easier if you can charge a lot more than it costs, you
1: know? Yeah. And I think, I think there's a whole game here, right? Like, and the reason I use contribution margin and not just like landed production cost here is because I think like Slick is a perfect example of this, where part of the way you all are solving the contribution margin problem is like, bi-coastal, 3PL, right? And the amount of work that is being done, like what I told people is like, we bleed for these principles. Like, I want you to understand, like sometimes I get on a call with people and they get mad at me. Like yesterday, like the entrepreneur I was talking to was mad at me because making a new product, which was part of what I was suggesting, is really, really hard. And the Facebook account is actually easier. And it sounds like, and I'm like, hey, I hear you. But this is actually what is required to win. It's the really, really hard thing. And you know what's really hard? Getting slick products to actually be cheap to ship. It's a freaking ton of work.
0: Yeah, it's also a that is also a lie. Like, I don't know who the entrepreneur is talking <laughs> right. to, but like the Facebook account isn't easier. Like <laughs> the, the marginal outcome that you can get at this point is like, I mean, I don't know. I mean, there's probably a baseline that's fairly easy, but actually improving it and growing based on that, it's gonna be really, really hard. And what that person is very likely to go do is like, fire you and go find another agency and then fire that agency and go find another agency, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, ad infinitum, because, and that is actually going to be way more expensive and time consuming than it would have been to make the product. And I mean, I've seen that a million times. So yeah, the I problem is I, like I agree. it's sort of
1: the Facebook ad account represents this like lottery ticket game too, though. That like one of the things that they the the 3PL thing is there's no like game that I go play on the 3PL side and one day I wake up and there's a bunch of extra money. And so there's this thing about it that's almost like a Vegas style hook in us, which is like we always feel like, and it's sort of true that we're always one out away. And so it feels like in some ways doing that thing has a better expected value because There we've all heard the stories of the one ad that did all this stuff. And we've probably experienced some version of it too. So it's really hard to ignore that total upside potential as part of the calculation, but it's so small and such a small percentage that the actual EV of like chipping out points of margin, I would contend is actually way better.
0: Yeah. I, I, I completely agree with this. And I'm like at 400, we're we're like this point, as I assess our brand, I mean, you, you and Dave and I were having a conversation the other day about like, what would you do? To, like what would be the multiplier on any one of our brands and not for one of them did we say make the facebook account better not for one of them not one, Whoa. not what no, we have five brands we went through the exercise if you could if you could just simply what would be the one thing you could do to like order magnitude growth for this brand you know and for every single one of them it was something totally outside totally of like related yeah of like hey your advertising isn't good enough you know and yeah. i mean i think we're good in facebook that's part of it is that like we've already kind of checked that box but yeah. So anyway, I, I agree with this point completely. I think. Okay. So um, number one, I think, one, point, I think we, contribution margin is. is awesome. And yeah, go ahead. Number okay. two.
1: So I'm going to get to something that you started to touch on, which is all about your cash conversion cycle. So your supplier terms. Yeah. Right? Okay.
0: I, I had a feeling this was going to be in this list, which right, rightfully so. But yeah. Yep.
1: Yeah. So one of the things I think is underappreciated, and I think really for you, I would say you've come to appreciate more over the last two years than anything else is like the financial complexity of running an e-commerce business in terms of managing your cash. And it's also like, it's the place you die is like, if you get it really wrong, like the money's not there anymore and there's just nothing you can do. And so one of the things that your supplier terms do is they allow for, or so they, they, they set the terms by which the amount of risk, inventory risk your business has is right. So the three categories I have are one, two points. If you have net on delivery, which means you don't have to pay your supplier till days after you receive the product. Now this is very rare, right? This is like, you gotta have a really special relationship to pull this off or your own production or some something to pull this off. But that means that you have a shot at a negative cash conversion cycle, which that means you actually sell the product before you have to pay for it. You never outlay cash that's the dream scenario right there's a famous twitter thread from this guy jay who breaks down jim shark's cash conversion cycle and how well they did at this but this is it this is this is the zero cash risk dream game is you have a negative cash conversion cycle so that's two points
0: well one thing you can do just so you know like one thing we've started to play with a lot is to use settle which will allow you to push back your payment they'll basically pay your manufacturer for you at what is functionally a 12% APR, but basically you can push back your payment for one percent of the cost of the payment. So, so like if you if you owe your supplier 30 grand, you can work with Settle and pay them. You know what is one percent of that? 300 bucks. Yes. Did I do that right? Yeah. And now that's now that's one that's on your PL, you, Your margin just got worse, right? So that yeah, works so against number one, right? right? But it's it may very 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 well be worth doing and just something to look into is is to go look at Settle and and th- and that could be the way you can sort of. Manufacture before you're the size of jim right. shark you can just throw your vendors around and right and just exactly. have all this leverage over them you can go do that so anyway so that's just a quick note that's there. such a
1: great point because what you're doing right there andrew is you're saying like what strength do i have if so if contribution margin is a strength you could give up a point of margin to improve your cash your cash flow right like so so all of that what this does is it allows you to sort of look at the inherent attributes of your business if i'm a 70 grade runner, but I can't throw like there's ways to offset the skill, the issue here. So net on delivery, two points, 0% upfront is one point. So that means likely you owe when you receive the product. So that usually what that means is that you owe either all of it or some of it on either a milestone payment. So halfway through production and then on delivery. But if you have to pay $0 at order, I gave you one point for that. And then zero points if you owe, sorry, 50% upfront or or to, uh, for the product, that's a killer. That destroys you, especially when we get to the next point, which has to do with lead times. But start start here. Let's talk about supplier terms.
0: Yeah, I don't have a lot to add there, except for this the subtle note and just that this is something you can play with. I mean, I think the one thing I'll say that maybe I do have something to add, which is that I think what people the mistake people make is they keep suppliers at arm's length in a way that they don't help the supplier see the upside for them by what they can do in their business to make your business better. So, cause I mean, obviously this works directly against their best interests. If you push off payment right. terms, it's because right. they have the same problem. Cycle. Yeah, yep. exactly. Now they have the exact same problem. So what I think you could reason, but what I have found is that there are certain suppliers that we work with vendors and this is where like being relational and kind helps sometimes. And, um, and we're like going and meeting people and really considering them a serious partner. Uh, what happens is that you potentially have the opportunity to say, Hey, it would really help us if you could take my net 15 terms or my on supply and turn it into net 30. Like, you don't have to get all the way from zero to 30 right away. You can try and chip away 10 days at a time, whatever. And every day that you can chip away, that makes your cash conversion cycle a little bit better. And what will happen is, and we've seen this for some suppliers that in different ways, what they'll say is like, oh yeah, we see that you're a good partner for us. We see that you're a growing business. We want your business in the long term when you get really big and therefore let us help you get there by giving you more favorable terms. And if you can give them some vision for that and partnership in that, you can sometimes use that as a, as a tactic, or you can do what I just said, which is like pay more later, you know? So there's, there's all kinds of ways to play at this, but I think people underrate the value of relationality in a partnership like this
1: yeah and i've even i've had an argument again i forget who it was probably nate again because anytime i'm talking about op stuff i'm talking about nate pulling digitally native on twitter but he was having this we were having this discussion about equity for your supplier which there's a question here right like all of this like one of the things that i'm constantly more and more fascinated by this is this idea of capital allocation as a game right which is just to say your equity is an asset the supplier terms are an asset what's the deal at which that exchange makes sense now this gets to something that I think is a point I don't have here, but I want a parking lot as a potential seventh point, which is single source supplier, right? Like how many options do you have for it? Cause there's risk there, right? Someone has leverage over you and I've watched this go really bad when a supplier decides I don't like the terms of our deal anymore. I'm holding your product and suddenly you have no access to your product that and they're, you know, either a China supplier or getting a hold of them or taking legal action actually feels like, almost impossible. Like there's real risk to the single source supplier. So I don't have that currently as a bucket, but I think it could be considered a category. Yeah. I mean, I think,
0: yeah, I I wonder if like, yeah, it should be part of this one or something as a caveat to it because yeah, I I agree with that. That makes, that
1: makes a lot of sense to me. And yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's, so number Number two, supplier terms, number three, lead times. Okay. How long does it take to produce your product? And this has to do with, again, just how long is your cash going to be tied up for now? Again, some of this is offset by the supplier terms. But as we know, as it relates to forecasting, the further out, you have to try and forecast, the more difficult the exercise becomes, the wider, the error bars grow, the further you try and predict. So if your product takes six months to make, and you have to make a purchase decision, attempting to forecast volumes, six months from now, good freaking luck like that it's is impossible. so impossible. It's impossible. Uh, we, we're,
0: we're right smack in the middle of this with slick right now. We are taking less volume than we want to take because we are out of, or we're going to run out of foam can. And so we had to slow things down and that's a China product. I mean, there's a lot of backup on all those kinds of things. There's like months and months of window here, depending on what shipment and what part of the order you're looking at. And it sucks. Um, and you compare that to Bamboo Earth where we produce the product ourselves. And we can, yes. the moment that we see that like a, some product, some ad on some product picked up. And so the sales velocity per product changes. Oh, we will, well, we just change the production schedule. <laughs> like it's no problem. And so um, on the other hand, what we're doing about Slick right now, where we've got one product that's a really popular product of ours that we have this challenge with that we're waiting on from China because exactly what you just said. We did not project nearly the level of success that we were having so far this year. Brian has been incredible this year with is he's worked very hard to get a few things pumping with that brand. And so we're outperforming anything that we projected. And so now we're waiting on this product. On the other hand, we have this shine product that's made in the U S it's an aerosol spray. And we went to them and went to our supplier there and said, we're growing fast. We're going to try and keep all of our velocity on our advertising and all that stuff pumping on this product. And we can just turn, it's like a two-week lead time. We can just turn it out and it's not a big deal. We just place a blanket PO and we're able to kind of get it really, really fast. And so even within that one business, those two products function as totally separate investments in terms of our working capital because one of them we can move very quickly on and the other one we can't and it creates all kinds of challenges. So what that is making us also do, the other implication here, and I think this is one of the things you're getting at, is that now in the long run, what I'm trying to do is just keep that exact breakdown happening. At this point, why not? Just keep trying to sell more shine than guns because this is not going to stop being a problem anytime soon so as much as we can tilt the inventory velocity towards more shine and less guns the better it looks for our cash the better it looks for our
1: agility And ultimately, probably you would call this anti-fragile. That's right. So that goes back to this, like the genetic attributes of each product. Like we have looked everywhere to make guns cheaper and faster. And Rob's going to keep looking, but we can't find anywhere to do it faster and cheaper. So what you have is a fixed attribute of this product that is not really as changeable as you want it to be. And so its potential ceiling relative to the shine suffers because of that. And so even though people love the product, it's not it's not about whether they like it or not. And in fact, if it could be made on the same production schedule as the shine, it would be really, really powerful, but it can't be right now, today current environment of production capacity.
0: We're super annoyed at how much of this product we sell, actually, totally. because it's a commodity. It's really hard to make a better version of a foam cannon than somebody else. There's a million of them out there. They're all made in China. So the margin is low. Uh, it ties up a bunch of working capital. We don't have incredible terms. Like it's it basically is a fragile product. Like it works with everything <laughs> exactly. we're talking about so far. And so we hate it, but but it's part of the experience. And so it's just kind of something we have to do. Uh, it allows us to sell other products that are better for us. But uh, yeah, and to the this really comes back to your number 2.2, which is That we tie up massive amounts of working capital in this in that foam foam cannon product, and it's a problem. So we, we, you know, it's all these things that we're talking about. We have to keep chipping away at it. Yeah. So it's it's really challenging.
1: So so the three categories I put on lead times, and I think these are aggressive. Like what I was doing here is so I I remember the first time I walked into ColourPop. Did you ever go up there with me, Andrew?
0: I did, and I went there with you, and did not realize how good what they were saying was. Because yeah. at that time, I was just on the agency side. I wasn't running for
1: hundred. Right. And I remember, what, what I, I know
0: exactly on. what you're about to say right now. And now yeah. I think I haven't thought about this actually for a while. But yeah, go ahead and say it because I, so, it's mind blowing. So,
1: so people don't uh, color pop is a giant cosmetics brand. I mean, they do a couple 100 million a year, probably in revenue. And the magic, though, the thing that nobody knows is they're owned by seed beauty. So seed beauty is a production company that also does Kylie cosmetics and a few others. And when I say they're owned by I mean, like, the office is the production facility in Oxnard, California, and they have a lab for making cosmetics to the point that when, you know, Mac or one of the big brands launches a new eyeshadow, they can replicate it and put it into production within 12 hours, like absolute magic in terms of no inventory risk, no volume risk. They make it, they produce it all basically on demand. It's incredible. And what I remember what the staff they told us was that they can go from testing a
0: product on their site so they'll launch a product test it and if it takes off they can have it made at scale ready to ship within two weeks so so they, so they just make a little small sample put it on the site see how it goes as a product launch and then as soon as people will start ordering it they just pump it out and when you think about that like that is amazingly helpful because the ability to do that means that from there You can constantly launch products, test, 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 test for really cheap. And then immediately produce it at scale for people. And that's like, you know, anybody who has launched products on e-com knows that sometimes you launch something and man, huge hit, bam. People want it like crazy. So it's just a huge advantage. And 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 other times it goes the opposite way and you're stuck with a bunch of inventory. But if you can solve that problem by, by yeah launching something and just testing,
1: then it's awesome. The only reason my four peaks theory, which is like this idea of creating four moments, isn't the 50 peaks theory, right. Is because you can't actually do that for most brands. It's not actually possible to, if I said, Andrew, launch 50 new products next year for slick, it'd be like, get lost. Like the amount of like research and development and prototyping and all of that would just take so long. It wouldn't be viable, but color it'd be pop- kind of a fun prompt though. Right? Like what yeah, would happen right? if you tried? Right. Yeah. Maybe, maybe I'm mis- misrepresenting my own sense of possibility there, but like, or I'm. A misunderstanding what's possible, but what ColourPop does is they do this. They endlessly launch new products and you know what new products do? They engage customers. They love them. They bring your customers back. You find new ones that have better acquisition models. Like it works. Launching new products is super effective if you can do it at really low risk. And so that's, that idea is really powerful.
0: Hey, I want to tell you about an opportunity in your business to double the length of your payment terms while doing virtually no work at all. And you could do that with your credit card with Parker, the sponsor of today's episode. Parker is a credit card created exclusively for e-commerce, which is why the great value of Parker is that they give you access to your cash for double the amount of time of standard credit cards. You get 60-day terms on a rolling basis on your credit card transactions instead of the standard 30 days with fees and interest and all that kind of stuff that you get with traditional credit cards. That gives you more time and more freedom with your cash to grow your business. Parker has zero fees, no interest, and credit limits up to 75% 75% of your monthly sales, which is another way Parker was designed exclusively for e-commerce by giving you that credit based on your monthly sales. And for a limited time, they're giving new cardholders a $1,000 sign-up bonus. It's a thousand free dollars just to put into your business. Go get that. So go to getparker.com or check the show notes to learn more. So give me your zero one. And two okay. So lines. my lead
1: times I had on demand two points. Now I will give some margin like the color two weeks, or even I would put bamboo earth as basically on demand, even though it's not like a printed t-shirt where it gets fulfilled within 24 hours, which is really the ideal. You still, in theory, you guys could play that same game and maybe it would be a two week delay for people, but that's really, really tight where you pretty much don't have to guess.
0: And you can take orders and say like shipped in a week and people are fine with it.
1: That's right. So I say two points for anything that you would put into the on-demand category. This is why drop shipping became such a big thing. It's why all the print on demand businesses became so powerful. It's why I love Breaking Tees, our partner so much, very similar concept. You can lead with the marketing and the product and then you can find out if anyone wants it before you have to pay for it. And that's just a huge advantage to do that. Okay. So that's two points. I put less than six weeks of production, one point. And this is where I think I'm being a little tough because not many products are actually able to be produced, especially if they're overseas in less than six weeks. So I I, I think that's good. I think that's good. I mean, yeah, because I I think what that gets at is, yeah, no, we we can do
0: less than six weeks for a bunch of products. I mean, especially once the like an original one is made. So like uh, that includes our leather goods, which was Trooper FC goods and trooper now for General okay. K9. We have a good it's exactly what I was saying earlier. We have a good partner there. They've really said to us, like Korchmar, our, our manufacturer in the Dominican, they said they've said to us like, hey, we're gonna help you test products. You want to try and make a harness like we'll make 20 of them for you and no problem That's like so there's, so there's no moqs like so you can get that really fast. And then the slick thing I was saying earlier is totally true. what, what we've actually done there, and I think people, I mean, this could be an interesting kind of combination of things is now that we're bicoastal with our shipping and we're actually moving to one PL on the East coast for the, the margin reason you said earlier, but we've also are now making shine on both coasts too. So that way we can ship the shine from the U S the aerosol straight to without having to ship across country, which makes it cheaper and faster. And so these manufacturers can go in a couple of weeks, they can get us a bunch more shine really, really fast. Now we're doing some scale there, so that definitely helps us to get better terms, but now, both manufacturers are shipping very quickly to uh, fulfillment centers in both places, and that way, um, it's cheaper to ship so we get some margin back because it's not a super high margin product otherwise, and uh, it cuts down lead times big time. And this is the trade off with Chinese manufacturing it's great if you, I mean, this is where if you get enough gross margin, you should make it in China. There's a reason we still aren't doing yeah. foam cannons in the U.S., ultimately, it's just too expensive, but. So there's just, there's often with these things, costs and benefits, but I think six weeks is pretty doable for a lot of products. It's just a matter of what the cost of it is relative to Great. Your options.
1: Great. Okay. So that's what I was, okay. So then we'll leave it at six weeks and then greater than six weeks, zero points. And again, there are lots of products that take longer than six weeks. And it doesn't mean you can't live. It just means you better be good at the other things. Right? So again, part of this is just like strengths and weaknesses. It's building, uh, you know, like in assessing your brand, like, you know, I we have a conversation with a stand stand-up paddleboard company. We have a friend that used to work with us, Reed Naliboff, who now works over there. And those guys suffer inventory constraint all year long because guessing and producing giant paddleboards and shipping them all over the place, it, they're just always wrong. They're wrong under, they're wrong over. They're just, it's just really, really freaking hard because it takes a long time to make them. Okay. So that's the other one you said that I would throw in there. So the categories that we would, could consider on the supply side would be number of suppliers, or do you own your own manufacturing? So what's your sort of inventory production risk, your facility gets COVID. Oh no. Are you done? Do you have another option? So that's, that's sort of one that I would add the other, you said would be minimum order quantities. So this isn't one of my six right now, but I think this represents a similar idea, which is like, will your supplier demand of you? a bunch of volume and a thing that you don't know if it'll sell that creates inventory risk so i know this was an issue Kalo ran into for a long time was that they were just like you know when you had a, a skew set that has a lot of sizes and you're trying to make new colors and you don't actually know the demand for the colors and you're guessing at it and you have a supplier that's hammering you on moqs you're gonna miss sometimes and it's gonna be costly
0: yeah i was gonna first say i don't think moq should be on the list it should be like a a nod to something because it's I don't think it's true for most businesses, but what then I realized immediately is what you just said about Kayla, which is lots of sizes and lots of skews. And we specifically stay away from brands with large SKU sets for a number of reasons, including this one. This is why we like we 400 does not and will not soon have any apparel brands. So I wonder though, if there's like a whole bucket there. I don't know if this is one of your six SKUs. Yeah. I mean, that could it's be like, because like number of skews. Creates other complexity and working capital problems because now you have to, yeah. And it's harder to get more margin because you can't order as much quantity because, you know, yeah. one product in eight sizes is a lot harder to order at scale and get economy of scale in your ordering than one product. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, SKU, SKU set could be an interesting Skew, interesting one Skew to do. It's hard
1: because, like, and this is where the nuance comes into it, right? Because I know that there are entire retail businesses that basically the premises have a million SKUs run Google shopping take the long tail volume across a giant portfolio that's all drop ship you know like there's there's businesses that are built around that sort of premise right? I think a lot of, like, candidly, like the way that the Nordstroms of the world now behave is like, yeah, we'll sell your product online only. And all we're going to do is like buy your branded keywords and long tail Google shopping and take whatever volume we can get. And you're going to fulfill it. And that's going to be what, how we make money. You sold it on Nordstroms slash no, you didn't really. Right. And so like, I know that's a business that's out there. So SKUs is tough, but it's another one I would put on the category because there is a lot of problems when you have a lot of SKUs, especially when you have sizing that causes the variability in SKUs. That's yeah. And typically
0: okay. with, with lots of size options means higher return rate. Cause people get the, cause people can't find the right size. And so that works against efficiency as well.
1: Totally. So return rate is a whole, it's a, it's a category that I would, it's another one. So that's like the fourth one that I would put is like, if your return rate is sub 5%, two points, if it's sub 10%. One point, if it's greater than 10%, zero points. Like that's a problem. Basically
0: that's, this is like on this factor, zero points for apparel. That's basically what you're saying. Yeah, there. exactly. Like apparel, and I would every apparel company is going to have this. Yeah, I that's would probably actually, right. the,
1: the easiest way to do it is put your that's return right. into your contribution margin and, and assess it that way. Okay. So the next point, so that's our, that's our production side. You can see the, how important that is that it's like half the battle is like that and that to me is a lot of the area of the genetic makeup of our brand has to do with on that side of things. Okay. The next one then gets into sort of the other areas of the business and we're going to go after this is number, four? As, number four, OPEX is a percentage of revenue. Okay. So how many humans does it take to run your business? How complex is it from a human administrative side? So this includes your rent for your office. If you're still doing that, all of your labor, all of your software, all of anything that goes into the operations of the business, including what I would put is like any brand marketing, content production, anything that you do there. So sub 15%, two points sub 25%, one point, greater than 25%, zero points.
0: Yeah, I actually wonder if you need to go sub 10% for two points. Okay. Like if you're going to keep that at the same level as some of the other ones, like I think this is one of the great advantages to e-commerce is that like generally speaking, I make this point all the time about four for but like as both a percentage and raw number, our profit should grow a lot with scale because the basic way of thinking about this is that running an e-commerce business at $2 million or at $4 million is not twice as costly on the OPEX side, just on the OPEX side as it is at 2 million. It's not. Basically, it's very easy, in fact, to go from 2 million to 4 million without adding a single person. Um, and maybe, maybe a little bit of customer service because that's just a volume game, but uh, ultimately it's a low cost. So, so I think this is one of the built-in advantages to e-commerce that gets underrated is that like, it just doesn't take that many humans to run a pretty good e-commerce brand. So I might make the, like the ceiling for two points, a little higher, but I don't know, 12 and a half feet in the middle.
1: I think that's fair. And I think part of the, probably you could almost like put that into scale, like depending on where you're at in scale, but I, I agree with you. This is the advantage. So like, as an alternative CTC full, you know, transparency here. Is 60% OPEX, right? Like, and that's because the business is OPEX. (laughs) That's right. Like that's the whole cost of the business. Right. And it's, and candidly, it's just 60% payroll. That's not even the rest of the administrative function. It's like the whole business is OPEX. You're right. So that's the difference. Like, again, just different business models, business types. So, okay. So OPEX, the percentage of revenue now, what's important here is that like, one of the things that I think entrepreneurs are always sort of wondering is like, what should I pay myself? What's appropriate levels of employees? Should I have more employees? Where does this, like all of that needs to go into consideration for that as a percentage of your revenue. And to think about where that scale, and oftentimes there's sort of a stair step function, which is like you invested a big fancy new resource or person to come lead a thing. And that increases your OPEX dramatically. And then you sort of remain flat for a while and you gain margin, and then you take another stair step and you go from there. Um, what you just described is, linear, is exactly
0: my experience that's exactly yeah. my experience that every time we add a resource typically it's not marginal increases like the customer service example i gave versus like a little bit with it it's like okay we now have the ability to go add dave which we did yep. you know that's not right. that long ago you've heard on the show right it's like that's dave right. is a monster and he's a really good employee he's had a vp level like and that you know so it wasn't like we added a thousand dollars a month. Dave gets paid more. Than right. And
1: his value capture is like, it's not instant, right? So it, like, it takes time, right? Correct. So you're going to, yes. you're going to crush your margin for a minute, but that got the, but over time, he's going to be able to do a lot for a long time. So that, that's sort of the thought there. Okay. So that's OPEX as percentage revenue. All right. Now we get into some of the more marketing side of things. So point number five is a diverse traffic mix. So this is one I'd be interested to see if you, you disagree here. Cause I know you're super anti anything organic in the world. How do you like that characterization of yourself? So, <laughs> so that, that one perfectly one. sums <laughs> up my actual position on this. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Diverse traffic mix greater than 50% organic two points, greater than 40% organic one point, less than 40% organic zero points. Okay. And the example I'm going to give and for the sake of this conversation is born primitive. I remember when born primitive. Who's so been a long-standing client of ours, and they—they're just a freaking awesome brand. And one of the things that you discovered very early on, when we saw their business, is that you did some analysis into where their traffic was coming from, and you discovered that they had sort of lucked into—and I say lucked into—in that they didn't do it intentionally, is what I mean by that. Obviously, they did a lot of good work to get to the place, but this wasn't an intentional tactical execution into a really high rank for CrossFit sports bra. Okay. Yeah. They were, and, they were number
0: two organic yeah. on Google for the categorical term, CrossFit sports bra. That's and right. I asked and them how they did that. And the CEO, who was a really humble guy said, I don't know. Yeah, we, exactly. So <laughs> when you say lucked into it for sure. Bear would tell you that they lucked into it for sure. That's would. right.
1: So what happened was as the demand for that category, that product grew, they just happened to capture a bunch of the demand on the basis of their SEO ranking. And that made their business more efficient because whatever their ad spend was, they were getting a bunch of quote-unquote free dollars that were all max margin because they weren't paying for that placement. And so it became such an inherent advantage to their business. And this is sort of the linear commerce, websmith idea is that if you own an audience from which you can extract value without paying for it, there's a massive advantage. So whether this is a huge email list, a giant social following, an SEO rank that you can take advantage of, something that allows you to pull traffic. You have amazing PR because your product is super sexy, whatever it is, it's an advantage if you're driving traffic that you aren't on a direct CBC basis paying for.
0: I mean, I think it's impossible to disagree with this point, right? Like it's so, it's such a big advantage and it's the whole reason people are leveraged on Facebook is like, right. I'm so yeah, I, I don't disagree at all. I think my only question with whenever this comes up is what do you mean by organic? Because like it's yeah. a little bit of a lie of a term. Like I think like totally. Like I think if all you mean is it's not and maybe the way to actually define this would be non programmatic. Like yeah. which is to say like it can't be traffic that you're buying from Google search, shopping display, YouTube or paid social, including Snap, TikTok, whatever. So That's like right. Because if I pay an influencer on TikTok to post and it creates value, most people, I bet are going to bucket that as, an, as organic just because it didn't yeah. come from like paid social or whatever, even though it's it's not really organic. Right. So Any more than
1: paying a PR agency to get you placements is quote Totally. Problem, so right? yeah. so that, that's
0: the thing that I think is that it just needs to be thought better about in this conversation. But I don't disagree at all. What I think is it's really hard. And yes. th- but the thing yes. is, so is everything else we've talked about.
1: So it's just- exactly. Yeah, And this goes back to though, there's a thing too, like one of the, we were just, so in my growth guide training, which is a program I do to train our team leads at CDC, we just read, we're in the series where we read two books. We read Purple Cow by Seth Godin and we read Hey Whipple Squeeze This, which is a creative process book. And they're both awesome if you haven't read them. But the premise of Purple Cow, right, is this idea that there are products, again, genetic attributes of the product by which have a more capacity for virality, for a word of mouth based on how cool the product is itself. And that will translate into better direct traffic, better organic demand growth, viral, you know, organic marketing flywheel. We've done a podcast talking about this. And so, in a brand that we work with, that's an example of this is APL. Okay. So APL shoes. What happens is relative to every other business that we work with, the amount of people, and this is a combination of the, who is buying the product, but also the quality of the product itself. They get a disproportionate number of people that buy the product and post themselves wearing it on social, okay? And they don't pay them to do that. They just sell to a specific category of human that want to show off their fashion, that like to show off themselves at the gym working out or on the boardwalk in Venice, you know, whatever. But what that leads to is that organic flywheel that generates a massive amount of organic traffic for them. That's an inherent attribute of the product. That's not a tactical marketing execution that they're doing.
0: I think one of the things you're getting out there is sort of like there's something inherent about communities. I mean, foreign primitive is the other great example of this is yep. like, you know, you and I have spent a lot of time working with people in the CrossFit space. And I mean, I've noticed this is early on, it's like the ultimate, marketing community because i mean the influencers are built right into it also the influencers aren't paid that well so like you can get deals with the biggest names that influence massive amounts of people like pretty reasonably so like it's not like working with like a baseball player where it's like oh that guy makes 30 million dollars a year he doesn't care about your 50 grand like there's all of this stuff and then it's a community so like people go work out in a gym together very tight it's very important to people's sense of identity so so as a born primitive has freaking dominated that space like they are I think probably now the number two brand there maybe, and continuing to make a run of being number one behind maybe Noble. Anyway, they have done that in part by just going deeper and deeper into the community. And I, I, we've noticed this with slick as well, which is that like, you know, you and I talked about, uh, we also did an episode about sort of like the death of the marketing campaign, like whatever happened to that. And part of the thing that I've thought about with that is like slick part of the strategy for us there is just to keep digging deeper and deeper into that community. So that as we continue to grow, it becomes more and more inherent to people who are riding off-road vehicles that you
1: wash them with slick. You just do. That's right. That's Um, just part of what it means to be part of the community. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And now I will say we don't get tons of organic traffic quote unquote for that. But I think where this shows up is in our RPC, like slick converts like 4% of its traffic at like, I don't know, like $90 AOV or something like it's a preposterous number, how much we convert relative to the AOV. And I think it's because of that. The other thing is that the brand recognition in a particular space, and this is all part of like the halo effect, shine brand effect here, is that like, as Slick has started to enter into wholesale.
1: That's what I was going to say, retail sell through. This is where this is. Right,
0: we sell through easily because anybody walks into a store and they've seen a million ads from Slick on social over the last bunch of years. And now we capture value from that advertising. You know, this is something I'm hot on right now, but just the idea of like, you're, we're capturing demand that we've generated in more places. And so, totally. so yeah, so there's a lot of ways this can look, but I think that principle is right, which is it's sort of just asking the question, how much is your product really resonating with people? And that will show up in a bunch of different ways in your business. And, uh, and if you can own the audience that it resonates with in some way, whether that's through PR and that like their search behavior, it's not technically owned, but it's the same idea. Or it's like, yeah, big email list or, or whatever, like you
1: can really win that's right okay so point5 diverse traffic mix relative to organic and for you you made a good point when we define this I define organic traffic as direct organic search email organic social and referral okay so those would be the five categories that like in statless our data tool we have a probably out SMS right? yes or so email SMS so any retention yeah. based tactic. yep. so in statless we have an organic as a percentage of total and that's how we bucket the two categories. and to your point it's anything programmatic paid would go in the other category.
0: So let me ask you okay. would you count affiliate in there? So affiliate is up. like a is you know so it's all paid as a percentage of revenue, but it's not programmatic it's not I mean it's almost like the category we're really trying to stay away from here's direct response like that's really what we're trying to say well, so so so,
1: the, so I think affiliate is a really broad term. so I, if I think about like a coupon website <clears throat> like retail me not, or whatever. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, let's throw that out. I mean, good affiliate. Like okay, affiliate yeah. that's actually, de- actually generating demand is what I mean, because coupon so, yeah, sites if are you're, just capturing t- demand.
1: If you're talking about external blogs and influencers that you are giving a UTM link to that you know you're paying them on for it, I, I think I would put that in the paid bucket. But I would just make sure most people, like when you talk about like the, the Rakatan, like programmatic affiliate, like that sits at the bottom of the funnel, like that becomes really noisy. Like, I, I don't know. That's harder to sort out.
0: Yeah. So so maybe part of the thing you're really getting out there is just diversity of traffic mixes more than it right. is about organic. Cause like, if I have a great email program and great paid social, like even if you don't have great organic, but if I have a killer categorical search thing going at the same time as I'm like got good email, my SMS program is working, my paid social is working, and I'm also winning on TikTok paid social as well as Facebook, Instagram. That's not the same as organic, but it is anti-fragile because like if one of those, like if it gets hurt, then maybe you've got some value there. What do you think about that?
1: So I, I, the only challenge is like, I think this iOS update as an example, hurts all of them.
0: Yeah, it hurts all um, of them. Yeah.
1: So so in that sense, like I think it is it's Not categorical search, risky, probably. Not categorical search, probably. Yep, that's fair. And I, I think that that is an area where we're trying to sort of think about pressing into and more and more. I'll tell you, I see, I think one of the biggest underserved areas in the brands that's like I've been digging into this is there's a narrative about the expected ROAS of categorical search that we need to get closer to what we're doing on Facebook. Like we need to get closer to thinking about that as pure prospecting in a way that we're leaving way. We're taking like a really low Ross on Facebook and we're holding categorical search to this absurd standard that we need to push more volume there. So that's just sort of a side, but okay. So I
0: that's, completely that's... agree. I have no idea why you wouldn't do that is unless you're ranking for the term organically and it's just like pure cannibalization, but almost that that's almost never the case. Like, I, I think I just 100% agree with what you just said. I don't know why you would not hold, have that be the same thing. In fact, Somebody actively searching for you is probably in some ways more valuable in the long tail than somebody that you're serving a brand new ad to. If you can actually, they have even some
1: if so, need that triggered this, right? Like exactly. So even if they yeah. don't
0: buy right now, you still have a touch point with them in a category that they have some reason to care about, as opposed to That's just right. like full on looky loo traffic.
1: That's right. That's right. Okay. So point number six here is LTV. So in particular, what we look at is 60 day LTV. And the reason I use that metric, you could look at a 12 month LTV. You could look at whatever window you want, but 60 day LTV just has the greatest impact on your cash flow. It's the most actionable in terms of the feedback loops, because when you start looking at 12 month LTV, it's really hard to assess the movement of it. It just takes forever. It's hard, the changes that you make today and where they bear out. And the reality is for almost every brand most of your L- your ltv curve is almost always a degrading curve from month one to month 12. meaning the amount of the value that you capture reduces over time so you capture most of your ltv value within the first 60 days for almost every product ever now really great ones like brands like born purple will use again as an apparel that have like these peak sales moments will have like a smiley face right they'll have a bunch of value captured in 30 60 days and then that next annual sale they'll capture another like a tail it's like a smiley face but okay so greater than 30% within 60 days, 2 points, greater than 15%, 1 point, less than 15%, 0 points within 30 days. And even that I think is like greater than 15% is fine. So I guess I guess it feels appropriate, but 30% is really the benchmark of the brands that are like really creating additional value fast and that's the Bamboo Earth world, right? They're closer yeah. to 42% or something. Something absurd. Yeah. So that just means, again, that you're going to be able to be more aggressive on the acquisition side in a way that's going to help your out account win and help you grow faster. And that's sort of like the simple beauty of it all.
0: And I think here, I mean, I just 100% agree. And I think here, one, one thing I'd say is people don't realize that this is not necessarily a function of your total business, but it's actually, you know, you and I have kind of talked about this a lot, but this is actually variable based on all kinds of different factors about who's buying and those sorts of things. So, and how they bought, like, are they a discount customer or not? How old are they? Are they male or female? What did they buy first? What's the first product they bought? I mean, in Bamboo, we talk about this all the time that people who buy kits from us are way more valuable to us than people who buy individual products. And there's all kinds of theories that we have about why that is. But either way, it's like really clear in the data. We use that in Statless. Statless Statless.io is this, I mean, honestly, insane data tool that you guys have built out at CTC. Is that available for other people yet?
1: Still waitlisted. I know. I know. We're okay, just, we're, so it's waitlisted. Okay, so it. our clients are on okay.
0: It, get on the waitlist for Statless.io. Like one thing we've looked at is you can like so- can sort by first product. LTV by first product purchased. And then you can even see like what the most likely second product they bought is and, and all this kind of stuff. And that way you can go and say like, oh, if I'm prospecting and get and selling somebody a single bottle of toner, wor- that customer's worth a lot less to me on a six day window or a longer window or whatever than somebody who's buying a full kit. And one thing I really wonder about now, actually that we're starting to play with is, is we've started to segment by age in some of our advertising in a way that kind of works against what I believe is is the best use of Facebook in some ways. Yeah. But what I think it's going to show us is, is a 50-year-old woman more likely to buy from me again than a 25-year-old woman? And my get, my hypothesis is yes. So that's my guess is that yeah. the most valuable client that I can sell to, or customer I can sell to, is a 50-year-old woman who buys a kit. And I wonder right. if I can get that 60-day LTV to 50%, you know? Because right, uh, that's the thing that the Facebook can algorithm scale. is that, not
1: taking into consideration. Not at all. And right.
0: it's super anti-fragile because now if my Facebook account gets worse, well, it makes it a little harder for me to realize profit in the immediate term. But... I still can at a pretty low return and I can scale more and grow more. So yeah, yeah. I, I mean, LTV is great. I love it so much. So <laughs> it, really, so, so, it really
1: helps. So I have a question. This is a philosophical debate I've been having. How much do you believe you can change this number? Okay, so yeah. outside, you, not new product. I'm saying just tactical no, I, marketing. How much do you think you can change I, the number?
0: I, I can tell you my answer to this question is that right now, everything we have tried tactically in terms of what you would consider typical tactics has not worked for any of our brands. However, the kind of observation I just made is probably the way to change it. So it's not that I'm actually getting somebody to buy more who previously bought less, what I'm doing is changing what I'm selling into whom I'm selling it to based on the data. So in that respect, I'm not changing anybody's behavior. I'm just picking yeah. the people I want to sell to differently. And I think that's a really different thing and is really important. And that's where something like statless is like basically, yeah, it's it's crazy valuable to us because we we can change very much like what our goal is. and then And then that affects very much like what kind of creative I'm developing in terms of, okay, if I'm trying to get a 50-year-old woman to buy, then now that gives me some direction about what my next move in the ad account is or my categorical search, like who I'm selling to whatever, because of course you can segment all of that that way. So one other thing I'll say about this is that I believe that another way to do this tactically is to effort specifically towards subscriptions. I think that this is an area where the purchase behavior is so different and the frictionlessness is so, so different on buying again that just by reducing so much friction on that next purchase, by getting somebody to subscribe, you will change somebody's behavior. So that's a bet we're making right now. We're, we're efforting very hard at Bamboo right now, starting with some testing on what our kind of intro offer is to figure out, okay, what's the right intro offer to get somebody subscribed? subscribe? What do we need to do to keep somebody to retain them? How do we work this into our email flows more? Because I, I do believe that we could probably change this behavior by, by moving more people from single purchasers to subscription
1: yeah, that's really I think subscription is the is the big lever here because because one of the easy things to do on the math on this is like everyone loves to and I've even found myself guilty of this is like, oh, if we just improve the post purchase email flow, we're going to massively move this number and go do the math, like, go look at your revenue. If you can do this in Clavio, I'm sure you can go look at your post purchase email flow revenue, the last 30 days and look at it as like a revenue per user. Like how many people went through it? How much money did you make? Now imagine you doubled it, which is like to get double performance out of any marketing adjustment is like a massive win, right? You're more likely going to get a 10 to 15% increase if you do it really well. The actual volume of money is really small. It's really small it's not going to make a massive difference because the reality is there's not actually that much friction for someone to buy your product again if they wanted to and that's sort of like the bamboo earth thing that we learned is like back when we were doing nothing people would come back and buy it because you know what's not hard to do get back on the internet to go buy something you want they're not like man if i just had an email i could buy more bamboo earth like you're going to change some people's mind you're going to remind a few people but the incremental change is not going to be that great. And I say that as somebody who offers email and SMS as a service to you, but like that's not the primary mechanism to solve this.
0: Email is a total 80 20 rule game. Like we have found consistently with our brands that like just getting baseline good flows going gets you 80% of the way there. And there is optimization to be done for sure. But after you basically get your solid flows going, my experience has been uh, it's really hard to get it a lot farther than that kind of baseline step. And and That's right. what you're saying there is a perfect example of that. So this is why subscriptions make a big difference is that like it is a massive change to the friction in buying again, as opposed to a small change like an email is. So
1: yeah. That's got it. Okay, so those are the six. The other one I'm going to throw out that I was missing, and then I want to hear one that you think I'm missing, is number of points of distribution. So are you in just online or do you have online? Uh, I think you. I, this wholesale. is the most
0: obvious. You have to add yeah. this because yeah. it, it, I mean... Forget even before you sell brick and mortar, like Amazon alone creates a whole nother Possibility for somebody to capture and and to generate demand that otherwise doesn't exist. I mean, we've all heard the stats, right? Fifty percent or whatever of product searches on the internet, or and fifty percent of e-commerce happens on Amazon. So it's like it's just a bucket of traffic that you're otherwise not accessing. It has something to do with your digital ads for sure, with your paid social. But like you can do that in a whole different universe. And so I, I think like Amazon and yeah, and I mean the way that I know this is true is that I've talked to brokers who I buy and sell that, businesses. Yeah. And what brokers who buy and sell businesses tell you is that if you have increased diversity of distribution, uh, your business is worth more. <laughs> so that's right, um, right. So I mean, it just it just is worth more, and it makes perfect. Every sense. dollar of so I, marketing I think has for more sure.
1: demand captured on it too. Like this is a big point that I think I'm, I'm seeing come to life more and more and more, which is this idea that like when you have to realize all of the value of your Facebook efforts in one single channel, it's really hard to maintain that efficiency and that justification. Hey, look, when you can realize it in ten channels. It starts to look a lot better.
0: <laughs> if you want to come help me build our wholesale program at Forever 400, you should talk to me because I'm I'm seriously thinking about this all the time. Like even simple, small, boutique kind of stuff, it really adds some value. And also, like man, wholesale is a lot of friction on the front end, but like especially if you sell through pretty decently, you just get high margin reorders constantly. It's another point that Nate Pooine is all over. Just like the there's a lot of margin to be had in the long run, even though you take a hit on the sh- in the short term in wholesale. So yeah, I, I think. Yeah, there's no question. So, points that's one distribution,
1: of distribution. I agree. I think that's one we need to add. What What else would you add? I feel like the other category I'm missing is like something to do with people, but it feels too subjective. Like, but what would What would you add?
0: I think RPC is kind of in there. But what I think is that like Slick is a pretty good business right now, simply because it converts a high volume of traffic relative to the AOV, and that's true across channels. So that's not just a channel thing. So I, you might kind of already have this in the traffic conversation we have. But I think that this is underrated and I think you can actually see it in our last three acquisitions that like modern fuel had the highest RPC from the start and it made it a lot more scalable pretty immediately. And as we add products, it only increases that more. I also think like what RPC does nicely is it's a, I mean, RPC makes every traffic channel more valuable. So, so it works into channel diversity, but I think what it does really is tells you, does anybody want this? And the more people who want it, the better. I bet you that if you go look at your best performing brands, Taylor and CTC, my guess would be if you sorted them by RPC, your biggest brands would come first. And that's sort of obvious, right? That every so I thought about doing this more. for
1: you because you're so obsessed with this metric, and I'm like fighting it. And so I want to add it, and I want to create a benchmark for it because I'm curious. Yeah, I'd, I curious mean, I,
0: if type. I'm wrong, I'd love to know because
1: well, all I think it does is causal you, chain. Like, like no, so, for so, sure. And like, there's this like, it suffers the same thing in my mind that conversion rate does generally, which is that it's so channel specific, right? So like, oh, one hundred percent. it It, it requires
0: tons of context for sure
1: right if i have a brand that for whatever reason they spend a bunch of money on display traffic so their traffic numbers are massive and their conversion rate then suffers as a result to tell them that their rpc is bad is like well yeah because you have traffic but their rpc
0: probably isn't bad if they are spending profitable display dollars. Like in that exact example. But that doesn't
1: happen, Andrew. I know that you, you love it, but like profitable display dollars is an oxymoron.
0: So then there you go, right? So the only possible way you could have profitable display dollars would be if, like, I bet you if we ran display for the North Face, they would be profitable, right? And it's because people want that product. And my guess is that like, and so that's all I'm saying is that RPC is a metric that tells you, does anybody want this? And yeah. I think that's all I'm really getting at with that is it's the simplest way to answer the very, obvious question about selling products which is like what's good that, like
1: so what would what would your what would what would your points be give me a breakdown of where uh, thresholds. i would say probably it's got to be like three bucks right like what is yeah yeah
0: i think three dollars would be a two two dollars would be i might say like 175 is a one because you can really win there and then yeah now and then anything under that's a zero probably but what i think i would for sure say like because I could easily manipulate this. Like what I might actually do is make this specific to, like I might say like your organic search, but even that's going to be dependent yes. on how much that is categorical versus branded. So actually a good way to do You're this is be to just, just take your branded paid search. That actually might be a yeah. good way to do it because that is pretty true across every brand that you would, that's one kind of traffic. When people are looking for you, do they buy it? I mean, that's like kind yeah. of an interesting question, right? So
1: what do you think the, the? so I'm looking at stateless, I'm looking at CPC year to date, facebook what do you think the average click cost is right now in facebook the year for this year
0: across all of your brands yep uh a dollar two dollars is it yeah. $2. It depended a lot to me on how much, like what kind of brands, because like Slick lives way below. Slick I guess I, how, I should.
1: Slick has the cheapest CPMs of almost any brand in Okay. The so
0: I, that's what I didn't know is how much of an outlier it is. But there's no question. It's that's crazy. part of it. But see, this is the exact same problem as the organic traffic problem that you're talking about. The reason Slick, part of the reason Slick's traffic pie is so weighted towards paid social is because the, Slick reaches the cheapest customers to reach on the internet. So it's easy to drive huge volumes of cheap traffic yeah. for Slick. Uh, And it's because it's 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 because it's reaching rural dudes. Thirty-five-year-old women in New York City are a lot more expensive to reach than a twenty-five-year-old
1: dude in rural Alabama. So, for context, because so you guys know what we're talking about, right? Year to date, Slicks Facebook CPM six dollars and fifty-eight cents. That's the eighth percentile, okay, of the entire. I I think off the
0: top of my head, I think Bamboo Earth is like thirty-three.
1: So it it, it costs.
0: Five times as much to reach a bamboo, one, a single bamboo earth customers. It does
1: for slick. So benchmark. About- yeah. But benchmark median is $15 roughly. Okay. You're at six bamboo. Let's pull it up right here. I agree. Cause it's, it's again, yeah, that is a massive, that is a massive difference. In, it's part of it why up. I think, I like, guess just so interesting to me.
0: Yeah, I think it's part of why the demand capture thing works so well for slick, because you're just having so many touch points with customers, even if they don't click or buy, right? Like yeah. it's just way cheaper to reach lots of people. So yep. you're going yep. 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 Have have to, you're going to
1: have. date $28 and 28 cents. Yep. And for the, like, you guys have gotten it back down reasonably, but you went through a three week stretch where you were 35, 45, 40, yep. 30, like, I mean, it's super, super expensive, super yep. expensive.
0: Yeah, and it's for the exact reason I just said. We reach women buying skincare. Like, it's just a very more, much, much more expensive The most competitive
1: person. inventory on the internet, yeah.
0: Yep, yeah. So anyway, so RPC is for sure contextual. I mean, Slick's paid social RPC is probably not very good, but that's because they get the traffic so cheap. But yeah, uh, yeah. So, so. this is so right, interesting, it,
1: like, because yeah. the, what, it, what it shows is that markets have this beautiful way of like actualizing in such an amazing way, which is like skincare has these inherent attributes of really high margin, good LTV. And you know what happens? Like the demand side of the inventory purchasing matches that it matches the attributes of it. Slick products selling off-road wash is a pain in the ass. Giant soap things to ship across the country to ATV and UTV dirt bikers who don't spend a bunch of money on stuff. Like nobody advertise, like the market, just, it's so beautiful the way that that sort of, uh, I, and interesting to think about how that happens.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, markets, are pretty efficient in that respect you know it, the, the incentives are right there for people and i think like this what you just said is the best argument for why ios 14.5 won't destroy the world because ultimately an auction is going to reflect the value of the traffic and so right. so now this could put a constraint on the amount of traffic everybody can drive blah, blah blah but like the reality is ios 14.5 doesn't change at all how many people are using facebook and instagram if anything perhaps You could even imagine people using it more because they feel a little bit like there's less privacy concern. I'm not banking on that. So anyway, so because if the traffic gets less valuable, then it should also get cheaper and the market should kind of Should suss all that out. So,
1: so yeah. All right. So there you go. So it sounds like I've got one to add for sure. Unless you've got any others, I'm going to add the distribution channels. Yeah, and that gives me. I think think
0: about our PC. I I think it'd be interesting. I mean, I think the way to answer this question would be to study it a little bit across your brand portfolio and to go look and say like, what's going on there. What I'll tell you is that like 31 bits still struggles because we can't make a click worth enough. It's that simple. And we have good. We have good contribution margin for 31 bits. Like, and, and we, we actually, people post their jewelry on social pretty often. Like there's like a few things like that, that are interesting, but we've just never been able to make a click worth enough money. And there you go. That's the problem.
1: Yep. So, All right. so there you go. So, so I, we, CDC is going to be publishing this scorecard. We're actually going to build it into an interactive quiz format that makes it really easy for you to fill it out and then get a grade back and then actions and next steps to take. So we can begin to give you a sense to, to evaluate yourself like this. One of the things I'd love in the comments or wherever people respond to you, Andrew is like, what do you think? What are we missing? What should be on the scorecard that's not that sort of signifies this idea and like that represents one of one of them I've thought about, and that I think is really true is like software, a software layer. So if you think about like the Pelotons of the world that are able to drive up recurring revenue on a really high margin thing, you can sell digital goods. Like there's there's things like that that I think are are potentially attributes, but that just shows up in contribution margin. I think ultimately. Yeah. So I don't know. Would love to hear more of what people have, but this is this is sort of the way that we're thinking about how to build great businesses and help people think about the state of their business.
0: All right, so there you have it. That went longer than expected, which should, is a phrase that should leave my vocabulary when talking to Taylor. We always go longer than expected. Um, but I, I actually loved this conversation. It was really helpful for me.
1: Um, Taylor, uh, so if people want to reach out to you, uh, what's the best way for them to do that? At Taylor Holiday on Twitter. Um, I need to maintain a healthy lead over Andrew and follower count. So if you could please uh, make sure that if you're following him, you also follow me so he gets no marginal gain off of his audience. That would be wonderful.
0: I uh, can tell you with full honesty that I've never once thought about beating you in follower count, so that makes me, you might win the Twitter uh, follower game, but I will win the, who's the less annoying person game in that respect. <laughs> um, so, uh, but do reach out to me on Twitter as well, at, at Andrew J. Ferris. Uh, tag us both if you have a thought on this. Uh, I think this would be a great conversation. Um, you could also email me at podcast at bar 400com if there's something like that that you want actually to make it to Taylor and to his team. Um, where should somebody reach out to if they want to use admission or stat list, Something like that
1: yeah I, like so, a, I mean, is there a
0: central point for all that
1: Commonthreadco.com will be a hub that will get you wherever you want to go and if you and look my email is taylor at common you can always email me i'm pretty open uh pretty good about the, the email but twitter my twitter dms are open happy to point you in whatever direction that's you can actually let you me tell you
0: that's the that's a better place to get a whole Taylor. go dm it, it. it really create is. a twitter account dm them on twitter uh, really uh, I, I, that's going to be the way to go. Um, okay, great. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Taylor. This is uh, super fun. Uh, so we will see you again see you next in a month.
1: month. Yeah, yeah,
0: definitely. It's on the calendar. We'll do this again. Uh, and uh, thanks. Hey, oh, by the way, if this is helpful to you, the big thing you can do to help us um, is to share it with somebody. Share it with somebody in the e-commerce space. Share it with a team member. Um, and uh, we just appreciate it a lot. So uh, we will talk to you next week.